everyone. My name is Teresa Holmesy, and you're listening to the special Earth Week podcast series. This is our second year series return. Last year, we explored different types of sustainability, and this year, we're focusing on civic engagement and collective action in relation to sustainability. That being said, um, thanks for joining me, Dr. Troy Hicks. Um, before we start off our conversation, um, could you introduce yourself to our listeners? Yes, thanks, Teresa. So as you said, Dr. Troy Hicks, I began at CMU in 2007 as a professor in the English department, uh, made one quick year in the uh, what was then the Center for Excellence in Teaching and Learning. And since then, in about 2016, I've switched over to teacher education and professional development. My interests are in digital and media literacies, working with K-12 teachers and trying to help them as well as their students um, better uh, think about ways to use digital tools, not only looking at the consumption of media, but also becoming creators and producers of their own media. So I began my career as a middle school teacher and that kind of ethos of being a language arts teacher has carried me forward to this day. Well, I'm really looking forward to learning more and speaking with you. Um, just to give everyone listening a bit of context, um, in the first episode of this podcast, um, I spoke with Maddie Thomas from Central Civics about civic engagement and how that relates to environmental causes, sustainability, and the general spirit of Earth Day. So today I was hoping to dive into information and the importance of consuming, sharing, and creating uh, credible fact-based information. So to sort of start off, um, could you describe what media literacy is and what it means to be media literate? Yeah, certainly. There are more formal definitions of media literacy, um, though what I consider it to be is the ability to analyze and interpret media messages and then also to create your own media messages and to think about audience and purpose and uh, media forms. So for instance, it could be anything from scrolling your Twitter, Facebook, Snapchat, Instagram feed, and trying to discern what you see in headlines and images and captions and hashtags, uh, as well as the actual words and sentences that people put together. Uh, but then also um, thinking about articles that are more in mainstream media. So when you see something that's from, from a source that's a little more politically to the left as compared to politically to the right. And then at a deeper level, it's trying to discern um, things that stretch from news, the facts, the who, what, when, and where, into analysis and opinion, which is the why and the how, and trying to discern, you know, again, is this a media organization with a long history? Is this a nonprofit? Is it somebody that's got a particular um, ideology that they're trying to share in different ways for, for good or for bad? Um, is it someone who's actually just spewing outright dis or misinformation or falsehoods and trying to understand all of those things in between? And then of course, teaching students the ability to do those types of things using any number of tools uh, that they might have available to them on their smartphones and computers and other devices. Yeah, so I mean, it seems like just from that sort of broad definition, whether people realize it or not, like media literacy is kind of just a part of our, our, our lives um, as we are all uh, consumers of media. So um, why could you kind of elaborate on why media literacy is important 
And then um, later, how does this sort of relate to environmental issues like climate change, for example? Sure. Yes, Teresa, I think you hit the nail on the head right there. We are all in need of a little dose of media literacy, myself included. I oftentimes have to just kind of pause and say, okay, where are my primary news sources? What are the other places where I might want to get some differing opinions and insights on these issues? And so, yeah, I mean, quite frankly, um, you know, I know we're recording audio now, but I'd hold my screen and my uh, smartphone up in front of my face and say, we are all mediated. Um, we, we see the world through our own eyes, yes, but also through these technologies that mediate. Um, and of course, newspapers, television, radio, those have been around for a while. Smartphones have been around for a while, social media a little less so. Um, but the idea that just this notion that we are all seeing the world and seeing perspectives in different ways. And then how that connects to climate and environmental issues, climate change, any number of those topics that are kind of interrelated around the environment. Of course, as you well know, and I'm sure listeners to this podcast can understand, we've got competing interests. On the one hand, um, we need energy. Our, our world needs electricity, right? There's just no doubt about it. Now, how we get that energy, whether that's from oil or nuclear or renewables, that's up for a lot of discussion and debate. And then you've got a lot of vested interests from a lot of companies and organizations um, that want to promote different types of um, energy usages and different aspects of, you know, when are we going to do this with the climate? When are we going to do that? What's good? What's bad? What's appropriate? What's not? And of course, that's where it starts to get wonderfully complicated because we see these environmental messages and then we have to dig a little bit deeper to understand who is sending that message and to really understand their intentions for doing so. And we can certainly talk about some more examples, but that's where I see the intersections of media literacy and climate change especially with the fact that not only do we have so many media outlets and just individual social media users, but clearly there are a number of nonprofit and political organizations in the environmental sector that, again, all have their own uh, agendas and, and purposes uh, out there. Yeah, I mean, I'd like to add to that, that um, media just shapes so many of our personal perspectives and our worldviews. And so um, depending on like what we're exposed to and what we consume, um, that's going to affect uh, whether or not we support certain causes or um, whether or not we feel a particular way toward um, something like renewable energy. Um, and so like that's really the crux of like why I, I would say why it's so important because if you're consuming misinformation, you're going to be um, misinformed um, just and you're going to have perspectives that are skewed or off, and um, you're going to be missing a lot of crucial pieces of information that would mm -hmm. otherwise be um, informing you in a completely different way. Um, and yeah, I mean, I see you nodding along like yeah, and this speaks to one of the topics that came up in our media literacy panel from a few weeks ago, um, this concept of uh, on the one hand, we have grassroots organizers who have, you know, tried to take on an issue and, and, and get um, citizens involved, generally form a nonprofit. Um, and again, we can talk about there's a, there's a wide range on the political spectrum of grassroots organizers. But then there's this concept in media literacy called astroturfing. 
where a company will actually be making fake grass. Uh, and that is that they create all the websites and the pamphlets and the propaganda that goes out on social media and through commercials and television. And they might even get spokespeople to go out and advocate for them. And it looks like a grassroots campaign, but actually it's funded by um, the oil company or funded by the electric company or funded by some other organization that ultimately has ulterior motives. And so um, they get you to go online, sign a petition, send a letter to your legislature or something. And then in fact, it's actually the lobbyists that are already trying to get those particular politicians to advocate for a position advantageous to the energy company as compared to the environment. So people need to be aware, even the most um, you know, innocuous, uh, kind, welcoming, great social media campaign and website um, that looks like it's by a grassroots organization could in fact be astroturfing. So we need to investigate who's behind these campaigns. Mm -hmm. You had um, mentioned that that panel from a few weeks ago, and I want to clarify and explain what um, that to our listeners. So a few weeks ago was Sunshine Week, and that's sort of an annual um, national uh, week that just raises awareness on um, journalism, the importance of it, and uh, trans especially um, as far as calling for transparency in government. So part of Sunshine Week, in addition to a panel um, that Dr. Hicks was on, on fake news, um, there was a movie showing of a, a documentary called Trust Me. And um, I would really recommend it to our listeners as well because it really dives into how easily and how uh, how easily we can be manipulated um, and how pervasive it is. Um, it's a kind of a rough watch, but once you see it, you're just like it overwhelmed in a good way, knowing that like wow, like this is good that I know this because. Um, a lot of times as, I mean, I can speak from my personal experience as a media consumer, I'm a pretty passive consumer. I just see things, I'm scrolling, I, I see things that I'm, I'm like, oh, I like that, you know, like, um, you know, oh, this is interesting, let me share that. And it is, it can be very passive. Um, but I would say that, you know, um, media literacy kind of adds this like more active component to it where you're, you're being more analytical um, and, and not allowing yourself to be as easily manipulated. Um, do you, would you agree with that assessment of them? I would, yeah. Uh, to build on your point, Teresa, I think that once you know what you know about media literacy, it's difficult to unknow it. So as an example, my own children will sometimes get a little annoyed with me while we're watching TV and commercials come on and I hit the mute button and start doing this commentary about, oh, what do we see here? We see this family doing this thing. And isn't that interesting that they have this? And, you know, when they were younger, it was all bad, blah, blah, blah. but now even as they're getting to be teenagers, they're starting to kind of appreciate that critical analytical lens. And so, Yes, I think media literacy is something that we can bring to our social media feeds, to our television watching, to our reading of books and newspapers and magazines, of billboards, of any text in the world. And uh, again, you know, I try to make a pretty conscious effort to avoid advertising as much as I can. I've installed ad blockers on my web browsers and, you know, I try to, um, again, mute the, the commercials as I see them on TV, but, you know, none of us are immune to advertising and I won't 
even pretend to claim that suddenly I'm not driven by consumer culture and the psychology of advertising, because of course we are. And that's part of the culture that we live in. And so being aware of it is incredibly important, especially again, as it relates to environmental issues. Yeah, that's an excellent point. I hadn't even really considered advertising, but it is a form of media. And I mean, it's out there for the intention of um, changing your perspective or, you know, with the, it's with the goal of selling you a product. Um, so they do use some sort of psychological um, tactics uh, in, in, um, in advertising. Um, but kind of moving um, from there, I had sort of brought this up and so did you um, with that documentary, Trust Me. Um, what, what is the role of trust in media consumption? Yeah, so first I would just uh, remind your listeners that um, through the CMU library, we actually have access to the Trust Me documentary. So you can log into the library and then watch it uh, via Canopy, uh, the film service. And the role of trust is interesting. I think you have to answer that at a couple different levels. At one level, there's this question of who journalists are and what journalists do. And for decades, if not centuries of journalism, there has been this kind of unwritten rule that journalists should be objective. And we can get into a longer philosophical conversation about objectivity, but basically what that means is that you're supposed to report just the facts and both sides of the story. And of course, there are lots of examples of this, but for climate change in particular, um, we would see on say a cable news channel where you'd have one scientist on the one side of the screen and one climate change denier for lack of a better term on the other side of the screen. And there's been a push in the last few years to say, hey, you know, this actually isn't accurate because 99 point something percent of scientists agree that climate change is real and it is something that is happening right now. And when we present it on TV as a 50-50 either or, there's multiple perspectives on this, that's not entirely accurate. So then that raises that question of trust. Well, what is the role of the journalist? Is the journalist to present the facts and to you know share both sides or, is it to actually, you know, present, okay, here's the overwhelming preponderance of facts. And then there is also this other kind of outside opinion. And so trust at that level is one thing. And then as we've been talking about already, trust at the level of, you know, what can you see and where is it from and how is it made and what's the purpose? We talked about astroturfing a little bit. There's the classic example of what were called the advertorials. So the advertising editorials that Mobile Oil did in the New York Times for a number of years. Um, there's all these types of issues where we have groups that are being paid to produce clickbait, essentially. Um, here's a he catchy headline and a graphic, click on it, generates a few pennies for this company, a few pennies for that company, but the pennies add up. And so you really have to ask who's producing this and why. So um, there's that level of trust too. Unfortunately, in all forms of journalism, including the web, um, the advertising and the news are really tightly aligned and have this strange symbiotic relationship with one another. And so you've got to kind of keep that in mind too. That at the end of the day, there is some money involved in all these decisions. Yeah, I think you bring up... Um 
an excellent amount of points there um, with the fact that like, I, as someone who is um, journalism major going into journalism, um, like I do recognize that like um, uh, journalists um, in reporting, I have to em employ different media frames um, because they get to, they, they do to some degree um, choose what they put in their stories. Um, but how that process is, is being conducted um, makes a whole gr a great deal of difference for what the final product is. Um, and trust is like this weird, just gray, complicated area when we're talking about media, because not only is there so much of it, there's so many different people who are producing it, and there's so much motives in there. Um, but then kind of going from there, um, I recognize that with media literacy, like we need to be critical of media, um, but how do we find balance between being healthy skeptics and then going down the rabbit hole into conspiracy theories? Like, how do we how do we balance that? Yeah, that is definitely one of the questions of the day. How do we do that? Starting with our youngest learners, all the way up through adult learners and our family and friends and colleagues and people we interact with in the world. So I think there's a couple of ways that we can do that. Um, one way is to uh, engage what is called lateral reading. Uh, this is an idea that's been um, researched and developed by Sam Weinberg and his colleagues at the Stanford History Education Group. And the idea of lateral reading is that rather than opening up a web page, any web page, and just reading down straight on that web page and then clicking over to the about page, as many of us have probably been taught in our web literacy over the last you know, 20 plus years, what you should do is open the page and then start opening a few new tabs and do some investigation. Um, you know, despite what people may say, actually Wikipedia is a pretty interesting source. So if you open up a page by a particular group or organization, and then you go to Wikipedia, just find out a little bit more about that organization and where it's repeated uh, or where it's been researched and uh, reported on. Um, and then there are other websites like Open Secrets and places like that that you can look to, just general Google search. Um, all those types of things are important. But also looking at words and phrases, you know, so we might see something, um, for instance, to stick with our topic right now, you might see a phrase like climate activist being used on one page, but on a different page or a different news source, you might see eco warrior. And how do those two different phrases have different connotations and what do they evoke for you emotionally and who's using those phrases and why? So I think my second tip then is after you've done some lateral reading yourself and you're preparing to have a conversation with somebody, step back from the particular thing that you're looking at and try to have a broader conversation about your values and beliefs. So if you see something that's about climate change uh, in your social media feed and it fires you up, just pause for a second and say, okay, well, why am I concerned about this? What's the deeper issue here? What's going on? Um, is this about me individually? Is it about our society? Is it about my children? Is it about our future? Is it about this? Is it about that? Um, and one of the things that I've found in conversations with family members that I sometimes vehemently disagree with politically is that I can step back and pause and just kind of say, well, tell me more about that. Why is this important to you? 
and, or tell me more about why you feel that way. And just, that gives me that moment to pause and cool down as we're getting into a heated conversation and also takes us away from a particular politician or policy statement and then opens up a little bit more empathetic and nuanced conversation about what drives us and why we feel the way we do. So those are two kind of quick strategies that I would recommend that lateral reading for our own selves and then also just kind of trying to reframe the conversation uh, when it gets a little heated. I, I think those are um, both really great tips. I especially love the one about um, the talking to family members because I know that that um, can be quite contentious. And I know that um, especially among students too, um, when they go to college and then they come back and, you know, picking fights with families over um, dinner, over various political, social, um, and environmental topics. Um, yeah, so um, you were also kind of just uh, addressing the fact that like media literacy, that active component again, as opposed to just like scrolling, you're actually taking an extra step and um, really considering your sources, um, like who, who is producing this information, where it's coming from, um, and what other sources are saying and how it, um, the language might be, might vary. Um, and that sort of thing. Is there something that you'd like to add? I see, I'd seen you unmute and I wasn't sure if you wanted to feel free to jump in whenever. Oh, no, I was just listening to your response there. And, and I think the other, the other piece, you know, depending on whether or not you have time as an individual, just interested in a topic and, or as a journalist or someone passionate about a particular, you know, uh, element of, you know, climate change or something like that. And, and acknowledging first that clearly none of us have time in the day to do this with every single thing that comes across our inbox and our social media feeds or else this is all we would do. I would also mm -hmm. say that, you know, that lateral reading idea and fact checking there's another model created by another scholar, Mike Caulfield. He calls it the SIFT model. And I think if I'm recalling correctly, it's like, you know, stop and investigate the source and then follow the source. And he calls it going upstream. Like, where did this quote come from? Can you verify this quote or this statistic from another source? And then, um, you kind of go through that process. And so the, the SIFT heuristic is useful as well. And of course it's escaping me right now, but I'll, I'll try to pull it up <laughs> in another tab here so I can speak more knowledgeably about it. Right, well, while you're doing that, um, there was a point that I wanted to follow up with you on like, um, do you believe that we have a responsibility as media consumers um, to be fact-checking the information we consume. Is that a responsibility? I do think it is a responsibility. And so depending again on how much time you have and where you're at and where, where you're gonna try to take a piece of news and later make a claim uh, in your personal life or professional life, you, you do need to take responsibility for what you're saying, um, you know, it, it used to be, you know, the joke is that, you know, Google has kind of ruined all um, bar fights, right? Like there's no reason to have a bar fight anymore because you can just Google it. And so I think that uh, the, the simple matter is that, yeah, if you're going to make a claim about, you know, X, Y, and Z is happening or, you know, X politician said this or this happened because of that, 
Well, and maybe that's true. Maybe ex-politician did say, you know, Z statement, but why? <laughs> Who are they getting money from in their political campaign? You can go look all this stuff up, right? And then what are their, what are those companies' motivations? And why are they saying what they're saying and doing what they're doing? And then what are the words and phrases that they're using? I mean, sometimes now this is referred to as dog whistling, where a very particular word or phrase or symbol will be invoked and especially around hate crimes and white supremacy and issues like that, um, where this dog whistle will be there. And then, you know, that's making a signal to a particular population of people that the politician may say this one thing, but what they really mean is this other thing. Um, but to return quickly to Mike Caulfield's um, idea about SIFT, he, he says, stop, investigate the source, find better coverage, and then trace the claims, quotes, and media to the original context. So again, can you see that other news organizations are reporting on similar data, similar quotes? And what I always try to remind students of too is that, you know, just because somebody is quoted and we see all these memes that are jokes on the internet, right? Like a picture of Abraham Lincoln saying something about spaceships or something like that. Um, you know, just because somebody said that somebody said, you know, again, you need to check those things out as well. So I, I think that there's so many elements of this, but to the core of your question, yeah, if you're if you're gonna make a public or even a private stance about a particular issue, you, you should be informed about it. And that's not to say that we need to spend 24 seven doing that for every single issue that we care about. But over time and cumulatively, you should be doing these types of things. I think that's a really nice way of putting it. Um, I would entirely agree with you as well, because um, we're not just media consumers anymore. I mean, um, it's one thing to have a conversation with someone and, you know, reference a, a, like, oh, I read this or, oh, I saw that. I think that that's kind of a, a tendency that maybe humans have always, always had. Um, to, to reference other things when speaking. Um, but through social media, we're also like vessels for media as well. Like we're consuming it, but then we're, we're sharing it. And um, the information we consume is now populating our like online spaces as well. So um, for example, you brought up like memes. Um, and I know that the meme that you brought up was like more of a joke, but um, I see memes being made a lot on like political social issues and um, those can also have like real slants to them as well because you know you don't know who's making it and it's um, not meant to be a super meaningful um, significant commentary on something um, but then if you go ahead and share that um, and it has like a little factoid in it or something that seems like a factoid um, you're not only subjecting yourself to that um, information, but then any of your friends and people who follow you, like they're seeing that too, and they're digesting that. And um, I don't know, it's media to me, I'm starting to like think about, um, especially on social media, it's like microplastics to some degree, like it's all there. And, you know, whether or not we realize that we're taking it all in and um, maybe potentially uh, spreading it and giving it to other people. Um, so yes. well, I, yes. I would just echo what you just said very much so that it, yeah again it's the cumulative effect and despite what anybody puts on their profile uh retweets our endorsements um now you may not believe in that particular thing and you might be retweeting it so you can then comment on it and disagree 
um, but you're amplifying it. And I think that we need to be incredibly conscious of the voices we're amplifying. The other thing really quickly is you're especially related to social media, although this happens more and more uh, through traditional news outlets too, is just simply sponsored content. And the fact that, you know, so many companies now are starting to shift their advertising budgets uh, to creating influencer posts on Instagram, Snapchat, and TikTok as compared to traditional modes of advertising and that they're paying these influencers to, again, essentially create advertisements um, for their products, but placing it in the context of a hip, fun, look at how great this is, social media post, which is nobody really thinks of as an ad in the traditional sense. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. A advertising is, can also be super hidden. And, um, you know, certain people like, um, I guess, influencers are maybe being paid to say things that they're actually being sponsored for, but the rules are iffy on some social media platforms as to whether or not they have to outright say that they're being paid or they're being sponsored. Um, and a lot of that goes kind of un unseen, unrecognized. Um, I know on social media, something that um, I've come across is like with the like little like infographics and memes. Um, sometimes if there's one that's like super popular and it's like, uh, going viral or it's getting a lot of um, shares, retweets, that sort of thing. Um, sometimes you can even search the meme and um, there might be a fact checking um, website that actually kind of looks at the information that the meme is sharing and um, assesses it. I know that that's something that I've done before um, when I've seen certain memes that I just didn't seem right with me. Um, but then again, with all the times that I've done that, it's actually been for content that I've disagreed with. And so um, that in itself is a problem because I shouldn't just be so critical of statements that I disagree with, but also ones that I, I'm, I'm like, oh yeah, of course, like that seems obvious or that makes sense. Um, I think there's another caveat there is we're a lot more critical of information that we disagree with. Whereas with media literacy, we should be considering, you know, any, a lot of statements that even we might find believable or buy into, um, especially if we're sharing them and, and referencing them. Um, I don't know, do you, do you, have you come across that as well? Like that, that sort of, there's um, kind of a distinction between how people interact with information they disagree with versus what they agree with. Oh yeah, certainly. We all have our own internal biases and perspectives. I guess we could kind of split hairs on the difference between those two definitions of what a bias is versus a mm -hmm. perspective, but oh, absolutely. Yes, we all are going to be drawn to things and nod along and smile and agree and are very much less likely to criticize or investigate that's a demonstrated psychological phenomenon. There's tons of research on the, the, that particular kind of um, self-affirming bias. I think that, again, to go back to one of the points from earlier in our conversation, thinking about how you reframe that, saying, oh, well, I saw this thing and that seems credible to me. 
Um, but I also recognize that I really care about the environment. So I saw this meme. It said that, you know, XYZ gas company is gouging prices uh, right now um, to exploit the crisis in Ukraine. Uh, of course, they are big oil takes the day again. And you see that meme. And then you have to kind of do that self-check to say, Okay, wait a minute. Let me just pause for a second. Yeah, I'm kind of frustrated by this. And yes, there is a history of some price gouging, but is that exactly what's happening right now? Where can I find out more about supply and demand and what's happening in the oil markets? And, and really, does a conflict that started just a few weeks ago actually affect the, the gasoline that I'm pumping in my car this afternoon? Eh, probably not, because it takes a long time to get oil out of the ground and refined and to your gas station. So, you know, there's just a whole lot that has to go into checking that internal bias. Um, and again, we can't do it. If that's all we did all day long, we, we would be very tired. Um, but we do have to periodically take that pause and say, yeah, why I care about this issue. Here are the sources I trust, but why do I trust them? And, and where might their blind spots be too? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um... I mean, given that our, our media landscape is, is very messy, and I think that that's really what we're touching on here. There's a lot of it. Um, and yeah, we would spend our entire days if we were trying to analyze uh, every single thing that came across um, our feed. Um, but um, with, with all this complex uh, situation, um, you know, I sometimes I feel disillusioned by it all. And I, I wonder, you know, how are we supposed to tackle global issues when we can't seem to come to terms on what a fact is, what truth is, um, and, you know, how our realities are constructed? So I'm not expecting you to answer that question, um, unless you have an answer for that. <laughs> I, I wish I had an answer. But I, what I can tell you is that that that's one of the questions that uh, keeps me up at night and wakes me up in the morning. You know, how is it that I can help teachers ask that kind of question of their own lessons and curriculum and the ways in which they engage their students, both in the K-12 setting as well as a higher education? So I think my, my short answer to that question is, again, at, at any moment where you see something that you feel particularly emotionally invested in, it is worth taking that time to do the lateral reading. It is worth taking that time to even, even if you're not in conversation with someone who disagrees with you, um, invite that naysayer into your own internal dialogue and ask some of those critical questions. Um, again, when we were at the panel a few weeks ago and I shared with you that media literacy smartphone with those five key questions of media literacy, um, that's worthwhile. And then my, my other kind of mantra that I've started to use often is just the question of, um, you know, there are so many things that influence our lives. I mean, people come, they don't just walk into a classroom not thinking anything and they're empty slates to be written on or buckets to be filled. We come with our own family traditions, community traditions, faith traditions, scientific, you know, traditions, all kinds of things like that. So I often encourage teachers to stop and think what counts as evidence for whom and in which context, because there are very many ways in which a, a whole complete thoughtful individual 
can believe one thing in one context and then go into a different part of their lives and if not believe something entirely different, at least have a different set of values and principles that are underlying why they're doing what they're doing in that space. And it, that may be worth questioning too. So we're all complex. We all have conflicting and contradictory overlaps in our lives. And then we try to express that to others and it's really hard. <laughs> so I guess my, my advice then again would be to just constantly be asking yourself, you know, what counts as evidence in this context? Uh, for whom? Who is my audience? Why are they believing or, um, you know, counting this kind of evidence as valuable in this moment? And um, what can we do to just deepen our human connection uh, without being disagreeable? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I mean, thank you for, for sharing um, that tidbit. I know that that was sort of a, a big, somewhat unanswerable question. Um, but because uh, Earth Day and anything, I mean, Earth Day is every day. That is actually the name of this podcast. Um, but specifically Earth Day next week, um, or this week as people are listening to it, um, it's all solutions oriented. And so um, I had wanted to invite you on so that we could kind of reemphasize that like information matters when it comes to um, developing solutions um, and implementing initiatives that are supposed to help the environment, um, people, the planet, that sort of thing. So um, asking you for more advice here, um, what advice would you give to people who feel hopeless about the current media information landscape? Well, you know, I, it, it is no secret, um, and Greta Thunberg would tell you this in a blunter way than I would, and the IPCC climate reports that have come out in the last few months would tell you this in very stark scientific terms. Um, it's not looking good, right? And 99% of scientists uh, and many people would agree. So for an individual, and I, I, I commiserate, I feel this too. I, it feels overwhelming sometimes. Like, yeah, I could recycle this plastic bag, but, or I could try to get a plastic bag uh, ban, or I could, oh, remember that I had that canvas bag in my closet that I should have brought with me. And, blah, blah, and you start spiraling and spiraling and thinking about all these things. Um, for me, again, it, it just comes down to conversations and the small things, you know, I, 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 as an individual, am not going to be able to change what an oil company executive does. There are other groups that do that, and they they are much more uh, politically astute and well-positioned to do so. What can I do in my everyday life? I can just continue to have conversations and let people know that I care. You know, So how are we using water in our home? How are we using electricity in our home? And my kids, they get really upset with me when it's mid-January and negative 10 outside, but boy, we're sticking with 67 degrees in the house. Well, why can't we turn it up to 70? Well, you want to know? <laughs> oh, no, blah, blah, because <laughs> we don't really want to get into that long-term conversation. But, you know, and it's that slow accumulation. Now, will they have their thermostat set at 70 when they have their own apartment or dorm room or, or home in the future? Maybe they will. I ultimately, I can't control that. I can only try to offer the rationales for what I'm doing right now and to continue to have the conversations. So try to find solace, um, you know, be open to new ideas. Um, yet also, if you have beliefs that you feel strongly about related to environmentalism and climate change, 
and the ways in which you want to be as a person in the world, um, then make sure that your family and friends know that. And you don't have to be shouting it in their face. Um, those conversations can come in subtle and more nuanced ways. Yeah, well, I mean, thank you for, for um, having such thoughtful answers um, and taking such like a, like leading with so much empathy, um, especially in talking about information, which can be so convoluted and so stressful. Um, so I, I'm done with all my questions, but I wanted to see if there was anything um, that you'd like to add, um, any sort of final call to action that you'd like to leave our listeners with. Well, I, I think for you, Teresa, I would ask as a journalist and someone who is looking to be on the environmental beat um, and thinking back to this question of objectivity versus activism in your role as a journalist, uh, what do you see? Uh, because clearly you're seeing a number of other social media sources around environmentalism. You're probably seeing all elements from you know, different sides of the political spectrum too. Uh, who do you want to be and how do you want to be in the world as a journalist who is going to report on this beat? Um, what are you taking away from our conversation today? Well, that's a great question. Um, and I love you spinning it around on me like that. Um, well, that's what good journalists have to do, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they have to answer them, answer questions yeah. as well as ask them. Um, as far as like, you know, I, I haven't spent too much time on um, an environmental beat per se. I have written environmental stories, but um, beat reporting is a little bit different. Um, and so I, I can answer, I can speak to um, what perspective I would like to have as a journalist. Um, and I think that uh, transparency is super important um, in my personal uh, repertoire. Anytime I'm doing a story, I make sure that the people that I'm speaking to are very aware of what my understanding of a topic is and also um, what the what question like what is uh, guiding the questions that I'm asking and what I'm envisioning when I'm reporting. I think that's really important. Um, and I have spoken to people from a wide variety of uh, political perspectives and different opinions. And though I don't necessarily agree with everyone that I've spoken to, um, I do believe in fairness and reporting, and I try to represent people as accurately as I can. Um, if there's something that, um, you know, like there's say, I, 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 I am trying to be as accurate as possible. Of course, like I get that um, reality is constructed, um, but there is an ethical way in which I can try to try to do that and try to convey information and share it with people. Um, so from this conversation, I guess, um, I'm getting a lot of affirmation on like the importance of media literacy and just being an open communicator. Um, communication is very important um, in, in every single aspect of our lives, um, in our personal lives, but also in just um, talking about solutions, understanding issues. And so, yeah, it's, it's, there's, a, there's a lot to think about. Um, and I just, as a journalist, I just hope that I can do the, the stories and the issues that I cover. I hope I can do them justice. Um, and I hope that I can represent people as accurately as possible. 
Um, inevitably, there will be people that I speak to who um, don't don't like what I write about them, um, and you know, that's not that's just a this is not PR. It's a it's a product of the trade, and I think people don't always understand that. Um, but it is important. Um, anytime that I I write something that gets people mad, it's not coming from a place of me trying to make a point or um, make someone intentionally look bad. It's just me um, representing reality to the best of my abilities. Um, but there is a lot of work that goes into it, and um, there are definitely ways that the entire industry could probably be better. Um, I just know that my, my the only thing that I can do is just be transparent, be fair, um, and also uh, be sourcing people who are credible and fact-based as well. I hope that answers your question. Um, I was a little caught off guard there, but... <laughs> well, that, that was a, a very good answer, and I wish you well as you move forward with your career as a journalist and uh, to bring light to these issues and, and do the people as well as the environment justice, uh, because we certainly need more of that uh, in Michigan, in our country and in our world. So thank you. Well, thanks again. And um, to all of our listeners out there, I'd like to remind them as I do in every podcast episode that um, every day is in fact Earth Day. Um, and so with that, uh, thank you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.